Welcome to the podcast, and through Exist to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim, and I'm the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall, and I am his number two. And this episode is brought to you by Banner of Truth. <laughs> Not really, but yes. We wish. We wish it was. Yeah. I mean, technically. Ian Murray, I know you're listening. <laughs> Hook us up, bro. Um... Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Banner of Truth is a publishing company that specializes in keeping the works of the Puritans alive and well today. And yeah. we're going to be talking about some of them, certainly not all of them, certainly not even the entire history of Puritanism, but kind of English Puritans in the 17th century. Let's call it that. Yeah, I, I would say if you're writing... A college paper on the Puritans. You're going to need to reference more than this episode. Yeah. You're writing a high school paper. You might be good to go. You might be good to go. Yeah. Uh, before we get Wait, too and deep. And if you're out of high school where you get to write a paper about the Puritans. Good on you. That's a good high school. <laughs> before we get too deep into it, I want to do a very Puritan thing. Mm. I, I need to check and make sure we're good. Are, okay. I, I, have you ever had the notion mm -hmm. that I didn't appreciate the strange other things going on in history around the time that we're going to be talking about that you bring into the front end of the messages? Um, I, I kind of got that. I don't know. I think I, I felt like I was tolerated. That's the sense that I got. I love that thing. Okay. Well, that's cool. And I have gotten so many emails. <laughs> Over the last, and since we only have two listeners, it just shows that there's repeated emails. It's from repeated. Both of them. <laughs> right. I have I have probably gotten ten emails, really, from people, or or, and if you count mentions, mm. just in passing conversations, more than ten okay. comments about no, that is helpful, and it is it is interesting. Okay, and I, I I just. I'm surprised that people need to stand up for you like that because <laughs> it was it was always supposed to be a part of it from the beginning. Right. And and I did some of them for a while and sure. then you've done some since. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that people were coming at me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And also <laughs> it's funny. Also has been brought up the other thing that's been brought up to me quite a bit lately okay. is the reference to the two listeners that we always do right well we only had one initially and then we right. grew but we, exponentially we have we doubled <laughs> the fact that they've taken on personalities mm -hmm. right like they leave when we make a flat earth joke or whatever right they do <laughs> um i was thinking we should name them at some point mm. and then whoever hops on Whoever's listening to this episode knows that these people don't really exist. Right. But we talk about them as if they're there. <laughs> right. And forever, everyone else that comes on later is just like, who is that? <laughs> I, I love the idea. I love the idea. I think, uh, I think we'll bring that in next episode. Because I, <laughs> I want to so. do this well. I want to give this the, you know, the time and energy it so obviously deserves it was brought on th that idea <laughs> that idea came to me when marcel pepper was telling me that they just feel like they've taken on a person <laughs> it's like they know personality they <laughs> right and lastly we want to apologize for all those of you who woke up on thursday morning going where's my episode mm. mm -hmm. well we're recording it right now <laughs> that's right so it's thursday <laughs> you might get this later today you might not it's, it depends on various factors i hope you get it later today i think so all right, now, mm. Puritan apologies and talking about our own mm. weaknesses and mm -hmm. uh, and shortcomings aside, yeah, let's talk about the people who uh, were the Puritans. Yeah, so let me give. I'm not. I don't have my my list of fun facts per se, but I kind of do in a, a slightly different way. Essentially, I just want to remind people of a few things that are going on at the 
political legal level sure. in England, which is kind of the the context for the lives of the individuals we're going to talk about. The first thing is the English Civil War. We talked about that a little bit in in past episodes, referenced it, and and kind of some of the things that were going on. Um, essentially, the king was flexing his muscles, disbanded Parliament. Uh, that was not well received. He was also very traditionalistic in his approach to governing the church, of which he was the head, um, and really kind of leaning maybe back towards a lot of Roman tendencies, which upset some of the people we're going to talk about today in particular. So there was a civil war, and that civil war lasted quite a long time. Um, Eventually, though, in 1660, there's going to be a restoration of the monarchy. The son of Charles, who also was Charles II, Mm -hmm. um, is brought back to England and is, you know, crowned king of England, Scotland, Ireland, and everything else that they owned, essentially, which was like half the world. Um, But what happens then in the 1660s is that they really clamp down on um, religious freedom. So there was a significant time of religious freedom for a, a couple decades in England, and then that is really put to an end under the Act of Uniformity. So hopefully the legalese won't... I'm not going to try to avoid too much legalese, but it's important to know what, what the rules were and why why so many of these individuals are getting into trouble. Right. So in the Act of Uniformity, you had to fully up, uh, adhere to the updated Common Book of Prayer without any exceptions. The interesting thing was it was such a new update that most of the people hadn't even got their hands on it, so they had to vow to uphold a thing that they had never seen before. Now, it wasn't all that different from the previous versions, but still, just the premise of it is kind (laughs) of... I don't know. Right. It it just says... uh, Basically, what it says is, you're going to submit to me. Can you imagine, even in just the context... This is a much smaller context. In the context of our own congregation, if you and I were like, hey, everybody, Tim and I rewrote the Statement of Faith, and y'all are going to accept it, and people be like, well, can can I read it? Well, it's not ready yet, but just when we're done... Mm-hmm. You guys better be on board. <laughs> yeah, can, can you write? A, can you write a review for the book that I haven't finished? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, if you did not adhere to the common book of, book of prayer and attend the churches that that did this, you couldn't hold any office in a church or government. Um, they went back to the kind of Episcopal ordination. So, no more Presbyterianism, no more Congregationalism. Mm-hmm. It's priests and bishops. That's it. Um, so over 2,000 clergy would refuse and resign their wages and then sometimes their property and sometimes their freedom. Um, and this was followed by the Conventicle Act, which essentially just banned it. You couldn't ha- you were it was illegal to have more than five people who were unrelated coming together for any kind of spiritual service, anything, any mm-hmm. kind of worship, unless it was at the authorized Anglican church. Right. Um, and then they also had the Five Mile Act. So if you were a pastor who didn't sign the Act of Uniformity, you couldn't come within five miles of an incorporated town or any place where you had once pastored in the past. <laughs> yeah. And that is the... That how do, is, you, how do yeah. you measure five miles? It, it, okay, you could do five feet. You can do 50 feet. Right. You can see it. There's a visual reference. Mm-hmm. But to just be like, yeah, I'm probably roughly five and a quarter miles away, so we're good. <laughs> it's like if you can see the town from a hilltop, you're too close. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how yeah. that works. <laughs> it just seems, it seems too far to be reasonable to expect someone to gauge that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I. That's fair. Unless but in, there were markers in any. Yeah, this maybe. town is five miles away. Yeah, maybe that's... every town gets a five mile marker on every road. <laughs> Can you imagine? But anyway, so those those are the types of laws that are in in place um, for a while until there is a toleration act in 1688, um, which allowed freedom of worship for essentially for Protestants who still held Trinitarian doctrine, so Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Baptists, right, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, so that's kind of the historical background of, of what is happening in England. The first person we're going to talk about is a Puritan who is 
unlike the others, I guess, into mm-hmm. some re- regard. Uh, and his name was Oliver Cromwell. I love Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell, born to a noble family, but kind of a family on the on the low end of what it meant to be noble. Went to college, didn't finish, you know, went home when his father died, um, got married, had a bunch of kids, kind of just living a, a relatively kind of average life um, until he was elected to parliament for Huntington Huntingdonshire. Wow, that was rough. Uh, in his 20s. Um, and his political life didn't go well for him. He was treated for what they called melancholy back then, which is essentially depression. Um, but he didn't last long in Parliament because, as we mentioned before, Charles decided to just get rid of it. He didn't like what they were having to say, so so he stopped yeah. it. Funny how that's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. So in, in, in the in-between, uh, the several years um, where he wasn't in Parliament, uh, he came to devout Puritan convictions. He, you know, he wrote about being born again, regenerated by the Spirit, right? And uh, he saw kind of a remaining, lingering, what he would consider a tainting influence on the Anglican Church. Right. And and that that is why the historical background is so important. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have a guy in his 20s, mm-hmm. eager, up and coming. Yeah, he, he deals with melancholy, but he's also a go-getter. Yeah, sure. And he's going to go get. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he did. <laughs> the king says, yeah, we're just not going to do parliament anymore. And so this guy's like, I have an enemy. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that this group of people also have an enemy. And it's a common enemy. Yep. Right? Yep. The king who has established this way of church. Mm-hmm. Let's talk. And in those conversations, that that's not to say that his Puritan motivations are only political. No. Just to say that's how these kinds of things get introduced sometimes. Yeah. And that can still happen. Right? That can still happen today. Sure. Like to be honest, like, you know, in my my dealings with non believers just in, in out you know, circles outside the church, there are times when people are like, they find out what I what I do for a living. Right. Right. And, you know, and they're maybe not totally on board with some of the cultural trends of today and the way things are going on a variety of, of subjects. And so they're like, so you're not really down with that either, you know? No, not really. And, you know, this is why, right? Maybe mm-hmm. for different reasons than you are. But it's interesting because sometimes those those commonalities of things that aren't aren't inherently spiritual can then open doors to have conversations with people beyond those things. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So anyway, so just all that to say, um, yeah. So he ends up taking up arms in the civil war on the side of the parliamentarians, of course. And, uh, even though he had no formal military training, he distinguished himself, distinguishes himself, very gifted leader in battle, wins multiple victories. He saw this conflict as having a divine cause and significance, right? He, in his mind, he had been chosen by God to fight for the freedom of his people against what he considered to be a wicked tyrant king, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, that's what he was doing. And a lot of people in hindsight would say, you know, how could a devout Christian have that mindset in that scenario? But once again, and I've said this numerous times throughout this podcast, we weren't there, right? Like we weren't seeing people you know, be thrown in prison or executed for having the wrong theological convictions. Or we, we, we weren't, you know, we didn't experience tyranny, right? We don't, we have virtually no concept of what tyranny is. As much as people don't like, you know, the prime minister or the president of the United States, like, let's be honest, it's not tyranny. Um, so anyways, just all that to, right. to say, <laughs> you know, when he captured the king and executed him, he felt like it was justified. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm going to I'm going to just put some parameters on when he captured the king and executed him. Well, cuz he didn't re- Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a common thing. I there were there were 59 people, right, who signed the agreement that the king should die. Mhm. Right? Yeah. Um that it was um uh, a necessary evil, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, he, for sure. He is, he is definitely a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> I think you have you have a quote, don't you? I have a speech. A speech. Nice, I love it. I have a speech where Cromwell comes in upon the parliament. Now, issue being, parliament has, in some ways, been disbanded. Mm. But there is still a puppet group under the king, mm-hmm. right? Standing as representatives for various reg- regions. Mm-hmm. Cromwell invites himself in, <laughs> uh, not by request, and and lays this down. It is high time for me to put an end to your sitting in this place, which you have dishonored by your contempt of all virtue and defiled by your practice of every vice. Ye are a factious crew, an enemy to all good government. Ye are a pack of mercenary wretches, and would, like Esau, sell your country for a mess of porridge, and like Judas, betray your God for a few pieces of money. Is there a single virtue now remaining among you? Is there one vice you do not possess? Ye have no more religion than my horse. Gold is your God. Which of you have not bartered your conscience for bribes? Is there a man among you that has the least care for the good of the commonwealth? Ye sordid prostitutes, have you not defiled this sacred place and turned the Lord's temple into a den of thieves? That's a pretty high view of Mm. government and church, but anyway. (laughs) By your immoral principles and wicked practices... Ye are grown intolerably odious to the whole nation. You were deputed here by the people to get grievances redressed and are yourselves becoming the greatest of grievance. Mm. Your country therefore calls upon me to cleanse this Aegean stable by putting a final period to your iniquitous proceedings in this house, which by God's help and the strength he has given me, I am now come to do. I command ye therefore upon peril of your lives to depart immediately out of this place. Go, get you out, make haste, ye venal slaves be gone. Go, take away that shining bauble there and lock up the doors. In the name of God, go. Can you imagine walking into a room of men? Lords, nobility, yeah, and the king. <laughs> with a sword and just being like, hey, you know what? You're dismissed. You're evil and you're dismissed mm. and I'm taking over. Yeah. And you know what happens? They walk out. (laughs) I guess one thing to be bold enough to do it. Yeah. It's another thing to have the whole room of people go, yeah, all right. Yeah, we should probably go. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. so so And for it, he has a huge statue outside of Westminster. He does. He does. That's awesome. Him with there with his sword looking (laughs) all smooth. Yeah. So Cromwell distinguishes himself uh, on the battlefield. He defeats the royalists time and time again. Uh, goes to Ireland, fights them, beats them up, goes to Scotland, beats them he up. He just too. does his thing. <laughs> yeah. So at one point, they actually offer him the crown. So so the parliament that is sitting literally offers Oliver Cromwell the crown of England, and he turns it down based on his convictions. Yeah. Because he doesn't believe that it that England should be ruled by a king anymore. It should be ruled by the people. Right. This is 100 years before the American Revolution. More than 100 years. Right, and he's like, no, no, it should be Parliament. This is how this is, should run. So he takes on the title of like Lord Protector or something like that, which he holds. That's even, that's Lord Protector is so much cooler than King. It's pretty cool. There yeah. are lots of kings. There aren't many Lord Protectors. <laughs> yeah. So he dies. He dies a couple years later at the age of fifty nine, uh, the ripe old age of fifty nine, uh, at least at that time. Uh, but two years after his death, the Royalists get the upper hand. Like I said, the king, mm-hmm. the king's son, 
the king who was executed, his son, who has been in exile, comes back. They exhume his body after being buried for two years, which is just gross. Chop his head off and put it on a pike in front of Westminster Hall for 20 years. So... It just it's the seesaw. I mean, now he's got his statue, right? But they right. Did, they weren't building them a statue in 1660. Um, anyway, yeah. so it's it's this and this is the this is the world. I I just want to point out, mm. dude comes out of hiding. He's hiding from him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Comes out of hiding, digs I, up his dead body, <laughs> and then disgraces it. Yeah. What a punk. Yeah, That seriously. is a punk move. Yeah. Come on, Charles II. You're better than that. Um, or you should have been. Anyways, you're lucky, Tom. <laughs> you're lucky Oliver Cromwell wasn't still around or it would have been two kings as he would have taken. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Um, so let's talk about some more of the more more um, Puritans who are, are remembered. Pure? Pure. <laughs> are remembered more for their theological contributions than their military ones. Um Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, born in 1615, poor education, growing up. In my research, they mentioned that he received a poor education because it was done by mostly illiterate clergy where he lived because he was kind of in a, it was a bit of a backwater. And so the priests and pastors there who were trying to teach him could barely read themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of like the blind leading the blind. Yeah, but eventually he moves away, gets a half decent education, uh, takes a pastorate, and and one of the cool things he does, he's in this town called Kidderminster, and this is kind of during that phase where there is a degree of religious liberty. You have Anglicans, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Independents, all these different churches operating. He creates a local association where they come together and partner together on certain things. Um, you know, they still have their distinct traditions and, and church buildings and everything like that, but it's kind right. of a neat thing that he does. Um, but then when Civil War breaks out, he actually criticizes both sides. He's, he's kind of one of those guys. Um, although he does eventually side with the parliamentarians. Um However, he, he kind of flip on the political level, he kind of flip-flops because then he's part of bringing Charles II back to the throne. So he he kind of just wants everyone to get along, is Richard Baxter, which isn't a bad, which isn't a bad mm-hmm. goal to have. Um, but, but it doesn't end up working out for him because even though he works towards bringing the king back, once he comes back and issues this act of uniformity that we mentioned, well, Baxter was a dissenter. Only a mild dissenter, like he wasn't. He wasn't way out there. He was just like, you know what? There's some couple things that I'm not totally down with, and they're like, you can't be a, a preacher anymore. Yeah, because it's binary at this yeah. point, right? Oh yeah, it, it's cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, right. so he couldn't hold titles. He couldn't preach. Um, he tries to just kind of retire to the the countryside and just kind of do his thing <laughs> out of the way, but they just come for him anyways, right? Because they're like, oh, we heard you're preaching every once in a while, and they throw him in prison on multiple occasions. They take his house, they take his possessions, they take his books, which for a Puritan is like the worst thing that can happen, mm-hmm. is for someone to take your books away. Um, and like, there's this weird thing they try to do with him where they're trying to bring him back into the fold. And so they're like offering to let him go if he'll just like, just submit to what they want him to do. And right. he's like, I'm just not there, guys. And uh, they feel bad because he's an old. By this point, he's an old man in prison, right? And prison at that time is is hard. And uh, they want to let him go, but he's just. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. I was just think. Sorry. Yeah. At what point in history would you need the qualifier? Prison at that time is hard. Well, I think in I, harder than now. Right. I, I just, <laughs> I just think if you drop that at any other point in history, that statement, sure, harder than it is. The whole now. room would turn around and look and go. Maybe I should. What said- is prison like for you? <laughs> well, you can, you know. Anyways, um, yeah. So the interesting thing about Richard Baxter is that he. Th- he differed theologically from kind of the mainline Calvinism that was dominant mm-hmm. in the day. So he had some different views. Um, I don't know if he's overtly 
would overtly call himself an Ar- Arminian, but he was more leaned more Arminian than than most at his time. Yeah, and so that you know brought him into debates and discussions with you know guys like John Owen, who we'll talk about shortly. You know he he wasn't really down with the limited atonement. He had his a bit of a different view on the basis of justification. Um, but all in all, I mean he and yet in spite of all that, his best or most remembered book is the Reformed Pastor. So, right, and that's <laughs> that's the thing about the Puritans. The Puritans sit in a pretty interesting spot, mm. right? Um, I, I think a lot of people think of Christians as it, it, they they call them all the time like these sheep, right? Mm. They're just mm. going around doing whatever they're supposed to do and and not thinking for themselves. No way. Mm. Historically, it's the it's about rebellion, right? It's about standing up for what you believe to be the truth of God mm-hmm. and not falling into step. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Puritans are in this interesting place because they are rebelling against the rebellion, mm. right? Anglicanism is its own form of the Reformation. Right. It has been to this point a conversation within our discussion of the Reformation. Yeah. And, and it sours. It never really had a chance. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the foundations that it was based on, it never really had a chance. And so the Puritans are rebelling against the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Not to go back to the original, mm-hmm. not in that sort of way, but a second level of rebellion. Yeah. Right. So they're out with uh, the Anglican Church, they're out with the Catholic Church. They're doing a different thing than a lot of the mainland reformers are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so for that, they find themselves in this weird kind of hover in a way that they're nobody's friend, mm. um, mm-hmm. which really kind of speaks <laughs> speaks to me <laughs> in some ways as far as right. some some views that I have in, in ways that uh, that I might see different theological things. Right, Richard right. Baxter in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, even even so far as this, I, I was having a discussion uh, with Alan Self, who's pastor at Bethel. Um, there's a lot of academic discussion going on right now that the Puritans are in some ways bringing Catholicism in practice into... Uh, together with theological Protestantism. Mm. So you're going to find in some of these guys discussions about prayer, silence and meditation, journaling, uh, a lot of these things that are not scripturally explained do this. Like morning devotions is a huge portion of this Mm -hmm. Protestant thing, right? Mm -hmm. These things that are... Acts of piety and personal devotion that are maybe more mainline mm. than some of the Reformation would have been. Hmm. Uh, they're bringing they're bringing in heavy, but with the Reformed theology right alongside of it, and, and in some ways they sort of sit in this beautiful center, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that beautiful center has them at odds with everyone around them. Right. right. <laughs> right? And I think, I think Richard Baxter is a great example mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. how that, how that works out. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, yeah. and probably a great example is we'll talk about it later why they're so meaningful today. Yeah. Um, the next big, big player. And, and, and remember guys, we're not, we're not going through everybody. These are just a handful that we wanted to talk about is John Owen. Oh. Probably, probably one of the most brilliant minds of his time. Um, born in 1616, he attended Oxford University at the age of 12. He received his master's degree by 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a master's degree, like even today, a master's degree at 19 would be surprising. A master's degree then involved a lot more than a master's degree now. <laughs> like, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um he worked for the University of Oxford. However, he ended up leaving in protest um, because at that time, the Archbishop, uh, Bishop Laud, um, reintroduced statues 
because we, we this waffling between kind of more Roman versus more uh, Protestant perspectives, and so he didn't like the statues. And there's other things going on um, that were that were causing problems. Um, he forfeited his future inheritance. He had a he had an uncle who was a royalist, and so and he was in line to inherit a huge fortune from him, but he forfeited it when he decided to take the side of Parliament in the Civil War. Uh, which he also served in, also served as a chaplain in. Um, just interesting. All these guys get sucked into the, the war. It was uh, it was a big deal. Um, he was married in 1644. He had 11 children. Ten of them died in infancy. Wow. I I can't imagine. I can't I can't imagine what that would be like um how do you like i don't know it's just a testament to maybe just the 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 strength of people in bygone days i i just can't Mm -hmm. i can't imagine um what life would even be like having gone through that um and whether those were you know stillbirths or you know young children or whatever it's like it's all the pain i can't imagine anyways yeah as a dad, that just hits different for me. Um, so Owen was, um, he, he identified himself as, as, as independent or a congregationalist. So what he, what he would write about was how he rejected, he rejected both the new presbyter and the old priest. So he wasn't down with the more kind of the Scottish Presbyterian system. Um, and he wasn't down with kind of what he saw as the still too Roman Catholic Anglican Church, right? So he was a Congregationalist, independent. So in 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 the form of of ecclesiology, how he understood how churches are to operate, um, close closer to where we we are, we would have a congregational um, understanding of, of how the church is to operate. So so even though, for example, our church is part of the fellowship, the fellowship has no real authority over us. There an organization that we're affiliated with along with other like-minded churches and we partner in doing different things. But the ultimate authority for our church well, is ultimately Christ, but on a, on a practical ground level, um, we don't have anyone outside of our church telling us what we need to do. And so John Owen would be, would be there and right. would be amongst the first generation of, of people who had that kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so obviously Anglicans and Presbyterians hated that, but <laughs> that's, that's yeah. another. You know what? One thing that I'm excited about in getting into the Puritan era mm. is I, I was thinking about this. A lot of these guys have a lot of great works. Mm-hmm. Oh, They're yeah. prolific writers. We've been talking about prolific writers since the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't feel the need to tell people, you should read Justin Martyr. Right. You know, uh, Augustine, sure. Yeah, you want to read? You want to read Confessions? You want to read City of God? Mm-hmm. Um, great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Institutes of Christian Religion? Um, sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, but as far as getting into a group of people, you'd be like, you should... You should dive into some of this stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. The Puritans is kind of that first era where we say, "Hey, you know what? If this sparks, if this sparks joy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> if this sparks a little something in you, like go grab the books." Yeah, yeah. John Owen. It, you want to read the works of John Owen? Mm. You better start today, <laughs> right? And if you're not in your forties anymore, <laughs> you better read fast because. The volumes are thick and plentiful. Mm-hmm. And also, you're going to have to read every page like 10 times. Yeah, yeah. Owen is a dense writer. He is. I, I decided one day that I was going to make my way through some John Owen because I didn't know him well enough. Uh, got a great deal on some audiobooks. I'm a pretty auditory guy. Sure. I uh, was walking back and forth to work. Gonna listen to John Owen while I do that. I got like three blocks in, and I was like, I already need to rewind and start over because right. I have no clue what's going on yeah. here. It is not. It is not distracted reading. It is heavy reading with yeah. John Owen. It's very heavy. It's very the the way a lot of the Puritans write, and and John Owen is probably the premier example of this. Is that he 
he attacks a question or a theme from absolutely every angle imaginable. Like mm-hmm. he'll create questions that you never had and then answer them eight different ways. Right. <laughs> like that. And, and it sounds, it sounds exhausting, but it's not because um, it, it's, it's, it's brain exercise in a healthy way because it's, it's mm-hmm. not just, it's not just um, helping you think deeper, but it's, it's helping you come to a greater appreciation of the things of God. Yeah. And the other thing is they can be grammatically difficult. A little bit, yeah. Sometimes they will run sentences you swear would have a hundred words in them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Even that speech from Cromwell, it's only like four sentences, right? <laughs> <laughs> All of these semicolons and commas and things where the thought just goes and goes and goes and goes and right. the brain needs a period mm-hmm. so that you can stop, mm-hmm. cash in that information you just took and move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, not only are these great spiritual exercises, they're great intellectual exercises, yeah. reading and the Puritans. You can get, and some, some of the books that I grab from my shelf are, you can get a, like abridged versions right. with like updated spelling and they trim it down a little bit so it's more digestible. So like Modernized the, the, in some cases. Yeah, the copy I have of The Mortification of Sin, which is by the Banner of Truth, um, it's, an, it's an abridged version of it. So it's, it's much more digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's, if there's any like big Puritan fans listening to that, they're calling me a loser for not being able to read the real thing. But in any case, but you can, you can like, that's the nice thing about a lot of these books too, right? Is you can, if it's a really heavy, especially when you're first getting into it, there are ways to, to read it in, in kind of these abridged and updated versions that are going to be more easily digestible for our modern minds. Yeah. And we're, we're just going to keep talking about Banner of Truth, the whole Time. Yeah, pretty much. But I, I do appreciate that not only are they putting out works, but they're also trying to make them faithful and accessible at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So updating yeah. the language isn't changing the thought. Yeah. Um, and and they're not they're not translating it right. They're no. they're not taking it down to a third or fourth grade level no, 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 kind no, of no. thing. There's there's still going to be things you struggle with, but they are going to help with some of the grammar, mm-hmm. some of the sentence structure and stuff like that yeah. in, in a way that, that just uses rules that we would use today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so John Owen, um, prolific writer, you know, he's, he's getting into it with Baxter over the whole Arminian Calvinistic thing. So they're kind of like... You know, they're at odds, but they're, it's kind of this, like, long-standing debate that they have going back and forth. He's, you know, on campaigns with Cromwell in Ireland and Scotland. Um, his big thing, too, when he was kind of rolling with, with Cromwell in, in that, that gang um, was, was really emphasizing the fact that, you know, sincerity of faith and, and, and you know, being devout is extremely important for the high-ranking people of England. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's not just something for you know those who are in ministry or you know th- those those other people you know to take religion seriously, but you because you're political or military leaders, it's just a side thing. No, it needs to be ex- especially important um, for you as well. Which I think had a probably had a significant influence at least on Cromwell's life. Um, became the dean of Oxford, wrote that one book I mentioned recently, Mortification of Sin in 1656 but again problem is once the the king returns once they have this act of uniformity he's on the outside looking in um and there's all these attempts the 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 people loved him the king liked him Mm -hmm. but his policies his religious policies put him at odds with with john owen like it's weird because at one point the king gives him money like gives him money that he's going to use to help those who are suffering under these religious laws that the king has put in that place. That he's upholding, right? Like I just, it's it's just weird, right? Now there's there's a whole other layer of complexity to all of this that we don't have time to get into, but like we just don't because because there's there's people are seeing these these unsanctioned religious gatherings as a means uh, for, you know, rebels to get together to try and plan executions. And it's a whole thing. Anyways, it's, there's a lot going on here. Um, I was just thinking that that's kind of similar to when the government gave out 
that check for those people who were suffering most under the hike of gas prices. <laughs> <laughs> like here's here's a subsidy check because we tax you so much on the gases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe you just cut the taxes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Hmm. Just sure, a modern day. Equi- sure. <laughs> a modern. Let's not get too political, but just a modern day. There seems, you go. Seems the, like a kind of a roundabout way. Yeah. To, to yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Okay. So so he. So, yeah, they try to bring him back into the fold. He's, again, not interested. Just like Baxter, he's like, look, uh, yeah, you want me You want me to, like, toe the line with you guys? Okay, one condition, um, offer religious freedom. And they're like, well, no. And he's like, okay, well, then I guess not. So right. he doesn't really spend a significant amount. Like, I don't think he ever even does go to jail. He kind of is allowed to do his thing. But, you know, he's fond of Bunyan, who's the next guy we're going to talk about. Sure. He wants him out of jail. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, so, it, you know, we need to get these things moving. And he's a, instrumental in, in you know, helping shift policy later on. And he writes right up to his death uh, in 1683. Right. Yeah, and, and this, this push for religious freedom, mm-hmm. like just to do the parallels of things going on, this is why Puritanism is sort of a, a foundational core for faith in the states yeah. and in Canada. Yeah, for sure. Right? This is when those people who aren't down with going to jail mm-hmm. over these kinds of things, yeah. Um, they get but are very much in line with what Owen is talking about, what Baxter is talking about, what Bunyan is going to jail for. Mm-hmm. Hop a boat. Yeah. In fact, actually there were um there were multiple times when churches in the colonies we're writing to John Owen and saying, mm-hmm. come over here, man. No one's going to bug you over here. You can be a pastor. Like, people will love search you. Search committees, man. Yeah, they're just like, they're just hounding Pastoral them. search committees. Right? Sending letters on boats across the Atlantic to get John Owen. And uh, and he turns them down. He he decides to stay where, where he's at. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that, that must have been a real temptation for him, right? Because, I mean, you know, while while in England, they might be clamping down on on Puritanism, you know, in Massachusetts, like that's the dominant view, right? right? So like they're not like it'd be an easy place to go. Which interestingly is a British colony. Yeah. So it's not like they're not leaving the Commonwealth. No. In order to experience religious freedom. Yeah. They're just getting off the island. They just get off the island. Which <laughs> which really doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But in any case, let's talk about John Bunyan. He's the the last of our crew. He was John, the, not Paul. Not Paul Bunyan. Some people get that wrong. The guy with the axe and the blue cow and the lumberjack. And yeah. The, I don't know much about the story. The blue I just, ox, yeah. Yeah, the blue ox, yeah. Blue cow. Yeah. Well, cow, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so John was <laughs> this John, because all these guys are named John. Half these guys are named John. John was born in 1628, um, only had some minor schooling, and joins the army at 16 to fight in the Civil War. For which side? The parliamentary side. Um Reflecting on his time in his autobiography in the in the military, like, again he's there from the time he's like sixteen to nineteen, so he's he's young, like really right, young. yeah. But he he refers to himself as uh, having been the ringleader of all the youth that kept me company in all manner of vice and ungodliness. Yeah, grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. My favorite Puritan work. Mm, nice. Uh, is his autobiography. Right, mm-hmm. he's he's not far off when he talks about himself participating in all manner of vice. Yeah, he goes through that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the list is long, so so he is he is not one that grew up the good church kid and later became a preacher. And yeah. everyone everyone said, "Yeah, I kind of saw that coming." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after his military service, he goes home, takes up the trade of a tinker. And a tinker was essentially just someone who worked with tin, mending mm-hmm. household items, that sort of thing. And uh and there's this interesting story that he has that he he relates where he on a Sunday, he's engaging in a game of tip cat. Which is some kind of weird <laughs> variation of like baseball and bowling or something. I don't even know. I read the description of it. I'm like, I don't know what this what this game's all about. But anyways, he was doing that and, and not being in church, mm-hmm. and uh, and felt super convicted and felt like he heard a voice from heaven saying like, "Are you gonna give up your sins?" 
and go to heaven or are you going to keep them and go to hell? Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what was that? Right. Like, um, and then not long after that, he's passing through the town of Bedford and he hears these women who are having this discussion about spiritual things. And they're not from his church because he's attending, nominally attending the Episcopalian Anglican high church. And these ladies are from the more Puritan nonconformist congregational church. Mm-hmm. And he's so impressed by their understanding of scripture and their holiness that he's like, okay, there's something, there's something going on there that I've not been exposed to. And so he left the parish church and began began attending the nonconformist church. And before long, he's preaching there mm-hmm. and writing, right? And uh, that's kind of his, it's just an interesting kind of thing that, that happens, right? Just yeah. so impressed by these ladies. Yeah, and it's not exactly a clean transition no. for, for Bunyan. Um, he's kind of in and out. He really wrestled. Again, I was, I was talking with Alan about uh, Bunyan as well. Um, cause I was saying it was my favorite Puritan work. He was, he had just finished reading it. Mm, okay. Um, and he was saying Bunyan, Bunyan seems to have a, a little bit of like complex, right? Like mm. this nagging guilt complex. Right. Sure. Right. Uh, but in his faith, he's always like, like when he understands mm. faith, salvation by grace through faith, mm-hmm. His initial response is, that can't be for me. Right. Right. And even when he comes to terms with the fact that it is for him, mm-hmm. he he still struggles with, but what if it's not? Mm. Right? Like this constant battle of, I've done too much, my heart is still pulled too heavily, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. And and this is where I would say, read the book, by all means, read mm-hmm. the book. But I'm mm-hmm. going to do a bit of a spoiler here, just because I, I think it's necessary, because most people aren't going to read the book. Mm-hmm. The thing that finally gives him peace in the salvation offered by God is the notion brought to him to search the scriptures and see if there is ever anyone who pursues Christ and is turned away, mm. who genuinely pursues the salvation of God and is turned away. Mm. And uh, some would call it an argument of silence. He, he's willing to note that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, he's like, no, those, those who are called to God and pursue God are received by God mm, mm-hmm. despite who they are or who they were. Yeah. And, um, and that's the, that's where the book just sort of goes from this very hard and heavy autobiography into his per- wrestling with personal demons. Mm. Um, and then blooms into the grace of God. Yeah. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners mm. amply titled. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, so he's preaching, he has this conversion experience, he's preaching, he's writing, um, and once again, the same thing with all these guys, the restoration of the monarchy just threatens to put an end to that, and his church, um, his nonconformist church, had actually been meeting in an Anglican building, so the Anglican church allowed them to meet in their building which is pretty awesome, uh, but we're now forbidden from doing so. So then he's preaching in other places, preaching open mm-hmm. air, preaching at farms, whatever. And then there's a warrant put out for his arrest. And he is arrested and he's brought before the magistrate and he's charged with, and I quote, devilishly and perniciously abstained from coming to church to hear divine service and having held several unlawful meetings and conventicles to the great disturbance and distraction of the good subjects of this kingdom. Conventicles. Conventicles. Essentially, that was their their word for uh, unregistered or illegal religious gathering. Mm-hmm. Again, five people who are not related to one another getting together for any worship that is not done according to the common book of prayer, which is like pretty pretty restrictive. And in fact, it's actually it's actually similar to a lot of the laws in closed countries where Christians are allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. 
right? So in a lot of Muslim nations, it's not like, oh, you're a Christian, we'll kill you. It's, okay, yeah, it's fine, you're a Christian. And if you, with your kids in your own house, want to do whatever, that's fine. But you better not be meeting with other people. Yeah, the same is true in China. Yeah. Like, uh, in China, there is there is a state church. Yeah, but it's... But you garbage. have... The pastor has to turn in... He The pastor is assigned by the government. He writes his sermons. It is approved by a government official who... Mm-hmm. Uh, sits in attendance to make sure that everything is said according to mm-hmm. uh, the promotion of the government. It's a puppet thing to just say, of course we have Christians in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, foreigners are allowed to worship in China and to gather, and there are international churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order to get in to an actual church in China... This isn't hearsay. I've done it. Sure. In order to get into an actual church in China, you have to bring your passport to prove that you're not Chinese. Wow. And so without your passport, you can't get into the church building. That's crazy. Uh, And proselytization, evangelism is illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So technically, is there Sunday worship? There's a puppet church. Yeah. Is there true devoted christian gatherings yeah but no one chinese is there yeah or if they are happening they're illegal right Right. like they're they're underground right right and it's this weird situation because sometimes the chinese government kind of like lays off a little bit and kind of lets people do their thing for a while and -hmm. then they clamp down like they did a couple years ago where they just like really ramped up things up and i think using covid as an excuse for that was was part of what you know what they did there and what they've done in many places around the world it's a good right. good excuse. Um, yeah, so what ends up happening is he's sentenced to jail for, for three months. He's only sentenced for three months, but the, the thing is this. At the end of the three months, if he doesn't vow to stop preaching and start going to the approved church, his prison sentence could be extended. And so it is for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And this is tough on him because... Here's, here's the thing that's happened. So when Bunyan goes into jail, he's got four kids, the oldest of which his, one of his daughters is blind. His first wife has died, and he's just remarried a very young woman who's like 18, 19 at this point. Okay. Maybe early 20s by the, by the time he goes into jail. So him being in jail means that she is raising four kids that are not her own, and she's pregnant with a fifth. Um. And in that time, in that society, like that was difficult. Now, thankfully, I think their church family like stepped up to the plate. But he, I know he like like in some of his writings, like he wrestles with the fact of like I'm bringing down the roof of my own house on mm-hmm. my wife and children out of this conviction, and it's it's a tough spot to be in, man. Like I can't imagine. Like we're so we're so distanced from that reality here. Like to to say like you know. I don't know. I just a lot of respect for the guy, but at the same time, there, there's a part of me that's like, why would you do that, man? But I mean, yeah. I appreciate that he wrestles with that because yeah. not all not all figures in Christian history do. Yeah, that's true. A lot of them see ministry so high above family mm-hmm. um, that they willingly and knowingly neglect family. Yeah. for ministry. Yeah. While he's in jail, he has a Bible. He has Fox's Book of Martyrs which is interesting because it's something we've talked about and he's got stuff to write with. And so while he's in jail is when he writes your favorite Bunyan work, grace abounding to the chief of sinners. And he also writes Pilgrim's progress, which is hugely, hugely popular. Second most printed English book. Yeah. In history. It's crazy. You ready for a hot take? Okay. I don't love Pilgrim's progress. Okay. Why? I know that that's unpopular. Yeah. Pilgrim's Progress is one of those things that you're supposed to love, mm-hmm. even if you've never read it. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, when I was in school, Radiohead was that band. <laughs> I didn't have friends listening to them, but everyone loved them because that's what the cool kids do. You're supposed to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I feel like Pilgrim's Progress is that book. Everyone is supposed to love it. Lots of people have read it, but not everyone has. Yeah, yeah. But everyone knows about it. Right. I just don't follow the analogy that well. Hmm. Interesting. It's it's long. 
It is long. It's long for the type of story that it is. Yeah. And it, it has great, it has some really great moments. It does. It really does have some great moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are times when I would say I'm conflicted by the theology that comes from the way he's presenting the situation. Mm. Um, there are times when it's very grace based, mm-hmm. right? God's deliverance. But there are a lot of times when you're like, this is kind of works based mm. uh, in the same way. Mm. Um, and, and I don't feel like there's a good explanation of a segue between the two. Right. Um, right. Cause it's a, like a more of a narrative thing than a, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could so, see that. So I'm just I'm confused okay. by the analogy, right, of Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. Yet, I've got a beautiful old copy <laughs> uh, that I that I like. I've read it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I have probably four children's copies in either video or storybook <laughs> at the house somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. We read it for um, our English literature class. And actually we had a creative writing assignment where we had to write an addition. Well, we had a few different options, but one of them was writing a story into that world, mm-hmm. which was kind of fun. So I got to do that. That was kind of a fun yeah. exercise. I, I enjoyed that. But. And, and maybe it's just my own shortcomings that I say... The analogy gets confused mm-hmm. as Christian travels the yeah. path. Well, well, because when he's on the path, he comes across like antinomian, right? And worldly wise man. And so in those conversations, he's going to be like, no, your works need to be in line with what Christ has called you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just like understanding the context of who. Yeah. Anyways, but I, I don't need to become an apologist for Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> Booksellers <laughs> have done that for me for Hundreds of years. Yeah, I'm not saying it's problematic. I'm just saying I don't love it as much as other people <laughs> That's do. That's fine. Yeah. So in 1672, there is a, a he gets a reprieve. He gets out of jail. There's an indulgence decreed by the king. So he's like, ah, oh, we're just going to let a bunch of people out of jail. And so he does that. And so and Bunyan is eventually actually obtains a license to preach. So the thing that he didn't have that landed him in jail, he he got it eventually. Um, goes back to preaching and traveling around. He has some kind of freedom, although he does spend at least one more stint in jail. And on that journey, or sorry, while he's journeying around, though, he gets caught in a snowstorm, catches a fever, never recovers, and dies. Mm -hmm. Again, also at the ripe old age of 59. It's like an unlucky number. It was like, you know, what was the rule? Okay, all those like rock stars died at like 20, was it 27 or 28? Something like that. Yeah, it was like Jimi Hendrix and like uh, and uh, Kurt Cobain and all of them. It's yeah. like seems like for for the Puritans, I just feel like dying at the age of like fifty nine has just been. I don't know. I just yeah. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin. Don't jo- forget that was the ladies the other, on yeah. the list. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyways, so he also died at fifty nine. Um, but Bunyan is excellent. Another book that I picked up less popular, but probably my favorite by Bunyan, uh, The Fear of God. Ain't a lot of people writing books on about the fear of God these days, mm-hmm. and it's really, really good. It's my favorite. Yeah. by Bunyan. So, yeah, huge, huge influx today mm-hmm. in in the revival of Puritanism yeah. as um, as a means of understanding God and practicing faith. Mm-hmm. Um, in part. It's hard to say, like, it's chicken and egg, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is it because Banner of Truth is pumping this stuff out? Mm -hmm. Or is Banner of Truth pumping this stuff out because people are for it? Yeah. My my thought is I think there were some scholars kind of in the mid-20th century who started really getting back to the Puritans. Mm -hmm. And then over time, that's kind of echoing and and expanding. So guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones... Right. J.I. Packer, right? Carson. These guys are like, no, 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 this is good stuff. We need to get back to this, mm-hmm. right? Newer is not always better. And there's, so I think there's that. There's definitely a resurgence of kind of the reformed movement out outside of explicitly reformed churches, mm-hmm. right? So within... Baptist circles, even non-denominational, some non-denominational circles, right? Within the evangelical church in general, so there's kind of a bit of a callback to that. Um, so, I mean, where are you going to find that stuff? Right. Right? You're going to find it in the Puritans. 
Yeah, I also feel like there was a period of time in the last couple of decades where Christianity was supposed to be feel-good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, super culturally applicable. Yeah. Um, what makes you feel good is God kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that just life experience and scripture don't resonate with. Yeah. And and the Puritans are definitely not on that spectrum. Not at all. Uh, Puritans are are great. They're they're imperfect. Sure. There's oh, a yeah. there's a level of of legalism, I think, that sort of runs as a common thread mm. through some Puritan workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say in their practice, not in their theology. Right. I, I would say I would say there's um, the level of self deprecation. Mm-hmm. is unwarranted <laughs> in its height. It certainly feels that way. Yeah. yeah. So we we talked about the difference between total depravity and absolute depravity. Right. I think the Puritans believed in absolute depravity sometimes right. when I read through them. Uh, they definitely have a much more robust view of sin and the sinfulness of the human sure. heart. Which maybe you're right is taken to an extreme. Uh, in some instances, but I think that we are sorely lacking in mm-hmm. the modern church. Yeah. I, so I think I think they're the they're they are the they're the they're kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of the easy believism church growth feel mm-hmm. good. The, of, they're the antithesis to the emergent church. Yeah, yeah, and like, and I think you know when I a lot of the guys, you know. Uh, your age, my age, even some of the guys younger than me in that I know from like Bible college and seminary are really drawn to it because it's the exact opposite of what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Right? No, I agree. It's the exact opposite of just raise your hand and now you're saved and, you know, don't worry about doing anything. Just, you know, be happy and do what, do what makes you feel good. And, and God's, God's happy with that. And, and um, so I, there is, there's definitely a sense of like a whole generation of Christians, at least a lot of the the people that I know, who felt cheated, mm-hmm. being brought up in, under that. I did. I certainly did. Yeah, and the notion of wrestle with self and sin mm. before a holy God mm-hmm. is very much underlying in all Puritan works. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a quote, a brief quote here by J. High Packer talking about what it is that sets the Puritans apart or why, why we're drawn to it. What, what is it that they've got that we maybe don't, right? Mm-hmm. And it essentially comes down to maturity. And he says, maturity is a compound of wisdom, goodwill, resilience, and creativity. The Puritans exemplified maturity. We don't. We are spiritual dwarfs. A much-traveled leader, a Native American, be it said, has declared that he finds North American Protestantism man-centered, manipulative, success-oriented, self-indulgent, and sentimental as it blatantly is to be 3,000 miles wide and half an inch deep. Mm -hmm. The Puritans, by contrast, as a body were giants. They were great souls serving a great God. Mm -hmm. It is time (laughs) for the North American church to, to, to give up on this 3,000 miles wide, half an inch deep nonsense. And I think that's already happening. I think we're seeing the turning of that. Um, I, and I hope that continues. And I hope that we can we can recapture, not that we have to be clones of the Puritans, because like you said, they weren't perfect. They're not Christ, right? right? Um, they lived at a very different time, but they still wrestled through things um, that even despite hundreds of years of difference, there are going to be commonalities that uh, of issues that are at play today and things that we need to wrestle with as well. And and they took they took their faith seriously. They took their things like family discipleship seriously. They took the impact that they had on the culture around them seriously. And we need to do all of those things. Yeah. And and the era of the Puritans mm. is it's hard to say when it ends. Right. It runs into the Victorian age. Sure. Some are gonna even include Spurgeon. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. To me, that seems a little bit late. I think the Victorians should have their own thing. Sure, yeah. There's that whole movement later where you have Spurgeon and Moody and and company yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that I think are their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my this is always my encouragement 
for people to tiptoe into the Puritans. Um, the Valley of Vision. Mm-hmm. The Valley of Vision is a collection of Puritan prayers. These are prayers taken from the works of the Puritans, namely Thomas Shepard, Thomas Watson, Richard Baxter, John Bunyan, Isaac Watts, William Williams. Parents weren't that creative. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Philip Doddridge, William Romaine, David Brainerd. David Brainerd. So good. Mm. Uh, Augustus, uh, top lady. Christmas Evans, William Lay, Henry Law, and Charles Spurgeon. Uh, that has been organized just through their works when, when there's a really meaningful prayer, organized by category so that everything is in, in large print, mm-hmm. generous print, two pages, just a couple paragraphs, really, um, and, and laid out in a devotional kind of a way. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Uh, and, and a great insight into Puritan thought mm-hmm. and how we come before God. So Valley Vision is my pick for how to get engaged. Mm-hmm. If you want to engage directly into Puritan thought and, and start understanding that mm-hmm. a little bit better. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, that's a great way to, to do that. So yeah, I would highly, highly recommend the Valley of Vision. We were discussing whether or not I had a copy and I think... If, if I had lent it to somebody and it disappeared. <laughs> yeah. I had to borrow yours last time I used it. <laughs> and also Gentle and Lowly. Mm. Dane Ortland. Yeah. Actually. Dane Ortland is is still alive, not a Puritan. No. Uh but Gentle and Lowly is a we did it as a book study. We did here at the church. Mm-hmm. Um and it is based off of the writings of the Puritans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is It is also a good look and introduction yeah. into Puritan thought without just buying the works of John Owen and having them <laughs> delivered by a forklift <laughs> and devoting your life to some sort of modern monasticism. Right, yeah, yeah. And as always, we got a few of these on our own bookshelves, and so if anyone's seriously interested in, in reading something... They come talk to us, and got a couple I would recommend. Yep. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. See ya. <laughs>